Um, man, this is one of those times where you clearly know that, you, that there's, a, there's a benefit of going through just books of the Bible. Because, you know, the, this, this passage is one of those passages where you don't just happen to land if you're just doing topical. You know, circumcision. You know what I'm saying? This is not the one that you, that you would say, oh, I want to teach on circumcision. So, um, so, but you know what we do, in a, do at MacAv is that we go through the books of the Bible, and this is the topic, so here we go. Um, that's what we're going to do. If you have questions, uh, we, we ask, you can go ahead and ask those questions. We try to keep it uh, kind of informal here. We really want you to know and uh, learn and allow that learning to lead toward worship. So that's our heart uh, behind that. We just ask that you would make sure the questions can hopefully benefit the body in the sense. And if you feel like it's something personal, you can just talk to me afterwards or talk to uh, one of our leaders. Um, so let me uh, let me just ask the Lord to bless our time and then we're going to jump right in. OK, family. Uh, dear Jesus, we bless you, Lord, and we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we um, open up your scriptures. Lord, we, we admit all together, collectively and individually, uh, that we can't just interpret your word. We're not smart enough to know your ways, and we need you um, to work in our hearts and to guide this process so that we can be more like Jesus. Um, that's our heart. Um, all this is about you, Christ, and we pray that that will be the case as we are um, learning um, from you today. So have your way, Jesus. Be exalted. Holy Spirit, bring glory to Christ. Um, as you hopefully pray that you would fill me and fill all of us and allow us to be excited about your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so Genesis, you know, if we, if, you know, we'll take a whole talk itself to just sort of give you the synopsis, the overview of chapters 1 through 16. Uh, you guys have been great. I hope you've been enjoying um, uh, just learning more about uh, Jesus uh, from the perspective, even in the Old Testament and looking at Genesis. Um, I hope what we've seen is, maybe if you think of it was the biggest theme, we've just seen that this is a huge grace fest is that every week uh, we're just seeing how gracious God is and how evil we are. Um, and which is what a beautiful start uh, to, uh, to, to the Bible, um, to, to God's story and our story within it, uh, to sort of give everybody perspective on who are the characters and what role you play in history. Uh, and we play a role in receiving the gracious hand of Jesus. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. So that's what we even saw um, last week as we look at as we looked in Genesis 16, if you remember, uh, we were talking about Hagar and Ishmael, and we were looking at, um, you know, Hagar being uh, done wrong and misused. Um, but what was interesting is it seemed that she was doing all the right things. Um, I think that she had some issues, and I, I don't want Julie and Sarah, our mad group, to beat me up. Um, but, they, you know, they, they, she had some issues, but you saw Sarah mistreat her. You saw Abe being passive again, mistreat her. Um, but what was very interesting is that although it seemed that she deserved to be treated well, uh, she's the one who does not receive the promise, but actually Sarah still receives a promise and Abraham receives a promise, which again displays that is not what we do that merited God's favor. But God is just gracious and that he chooses to bless whom he wants to bless and, uh, and that we should stand in awe of that reality. We enter into Genesis uh, 17. And I'm going to go ahead and read. We're going to walk through and give me grace. I'm going to try and use this every like three or four weeks. I'll, I'll go back to this and then I'll mess it up and I won't do it for like four weeks. But hopefully we'll see what happens. Uh, we start in verse one, guys. Um, it says, when Abraham was 99 uh, years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Uh, so. Uh, so God has been gracious again. He's he starts off by saying, OK. Uh, you know, remember, he's given this this promise to Abraham many, many years ago. Um, and now Abraham is around ninety nine. Uh, we're thinking over 20 something years has passed um, between when he first gave the promise now. 
And he says, hey, I'm, no, I'm the Lord God Almighty. I want you to walk with me and be blameless. And it seems that he starts everything off by saying, look, I love this picture. Uh, he, he sort of is sort of giving us a little insight. And we're going to see this continually in chapter 17. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out how to share this with us as a people, because, you know, we're very serious about the sovereignty of God in his body, which means uh, that God controls absolutely everything. Uh, there's nothing outside his hand. Uh, that's a beautiful thing for us as fallible creatures. But God is in control. Everything happens because of the Lord. While at the same time, we're going to see in this text that there is some responsibility that man has. And so we're going to try. I'm going to try to figure out how to unpack that together. Um, I, I believe, and this is just my um, as I as I've studied scripture, it seems that both uh, the reformer camp um, and Armenians, I think we both kind of get it wrong because it seems like there's an, a, there's a tension that exists here that the scripture gives us. Uh, with the sovereign hand of God being over everything and yet can being very clear in scripture that I'm holding you responsible for some actions. Uh, so so he so I, I say that to say he starts us off and he says, look, um, I'm your God um, almighty. Just walk before me and be blameless. And I love the sense of walk. You know, if you're explaining walk to people, um, when you, cause that's a nice Christian word. But you can unpack that. What does walk mean? Live with me. Be close to me. Um, I liken it like, you know, now I have kids, everything I do now, come my examples are kids. You know, you're in a big crowded place. Uh, what do you say to your kids? You know, stay close to me. Right? Stay close to daddy. You know, as soon as you get out of the car, if you're at, a, if you're at Eastern Market, you know, on Saturday at 10, 10, 10 a.m., hello, right? You don't just go, okay, Connor, go have a good time. You know, you know, I won't see him again. You know what I'm saying? No, you say, hey, you get out of the car, first thing you say, now look, stay right here, okay? Stay close to daddy. Stay close to mommy. And as we and as we're walking, we're saying, hey, what, what I'm saying is, hey, you, you're safe when you're around me. I can navigate this stuff way better than you. OK, so I want you to stay with me. Just walk with me. I just love the sense of doing life. So God is calling us. Uh, he's saying this to Abraham here. Uh, very clear. It seems that he's probably he's saying that to us throughout scripture. So he says uh, you can do this because I'm, I'm the God almighty. Then he continues on in verse two. Oh, sorry, guys. He says, I will confirm my covenant between between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So so this whole covenant, we've talked so much about covenant. Uh, the reason why don't get tired of it, because we need to understand covenant in order to understand the scriptures. It seems covenant is the vernacular is what is what God uses all throughout scripture to determine and understand our relationship. So it's important for us to understand it because this is the these are the words that he uses to say, OK, you're my children. I have this relationship with you, this covenant. Um, what are his promises? What are the promises that he gives in this covenant? So first, I want us to not miss this. Um, in verse seven, we're going to see also in verse eight, we should we should have seen in chapter 15, verse one. And let's not miss the first thing he gives. The first person he gives is himself in the covenant It's not the land. It's not these other things. But he says, I'm going to give you myself that I'm I'm your reward, that that the, the reason why you want to be a Christian is not because you want to go to heaven. The reason why you want to be a Christian is not because of the stuff you're going to get. The reason why we, we say I want to I want to be a Christian is because I want my king. Is that I want to be in relationship with my creator. So I, I wonder is part of sanctification because maybe maybe I'm just kind of different than you. But my main reason for becoming a Christian was to go to heaven, was to experience blessing, was to have whatever I thought I would need to be happy. Right. Where and I think what sanctification is seems what sanctification does. Help me if I'm wrong. Is it's almost like God purifying your motives and almost changing your motives. Like I'm even cool with you starting out kind of crappy like that. But we're going to get you to the point where you realize 
I'm your great reward. That, that, when you're, that when you're 19, you say, I want to be a Christian. I love Jesus. And you sing your song, but really, like, I love Jesus. I really love heaven. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You know, he's like, okay, I'm cool with that. But I hope by the time you're 50, you can really say, I love Jesus. And you really, you really mean it. And you really know that he's your great reward. That being with the Lord one day, knowing that your whole life, your whole sacrifice meant something because he's real. That that's where your joy comes. That Christ is our reward. And in my mind, I begin to think like, man, this is hard because this is what we all deal with. Right. I mean, the reason why we sin is because we we don't trust that God is good. In a nutshell, we trust that we can do it better. Um, we have we have better thoughts. We can you know, so we, we, we go and do our own thing. And I was like, well, how does this work, Lord? How do I see you as my great reward? You know, I get guys coming in. We have all kind of sin issues. And, you know, it just brings me to my knees because all I can say if I'm faithful to the scriptures is we have to ask him to do that in our hearts. The hardest thing about this reality, about him being, him giving himself to us, him being our greatest reward, him being our reward, him being our focus, is that we can't birth that passion in our own hearts. We can't just like God more. We can't just say, okay, he should be my reward. Well, he'll be my reward. Isn't it hard? To know that God says you should be, he should be your reward, you get that cognitively, but then you can't make yourself say, I'm going to love him. Or do you believe that? Do you really think you can motivate a spiritual longing, a, a, a supernatural longing? That's a supernatural longing to love this being who's, who's the creator of all things. But it seems that it's, it's less sexy, more hard, but it comes with a life of faith saying, Lord, I can't do this. I need to ask you to cultivate my heart that you will be my treasure. And so what I so I'm imploring for myself and for you as a family of God, let's cultivate that kind of discussion with Christ in our prayer life. Let's ask God to do something in our hearts that we cannot do ourselves to ask him daily, moment by moment. Lord, will you will you be my treasure? Lord, you know, we fall into sin. Lord, I confess. I repent. Lord, please make my heart passionate about you. I need you to just ask over and over 200,000 times, 5 million times, day in and day out. Let's make that our prayer request. Moment by moment, day by day. He is our reward. Verse 7, we'll see it. We'll see it in 8. We also saw it back in the day in 15.1. I'll keep going backwards. Sorry, guys. Land, we understand land, um, I'm just going to keep going, and lineage. So he promises land, we're going to see that in verse 8. He also promises lineage. Now, in verse 3 and 4, he says, uh, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you, you will be the father of many nations. So he's still having this discussion with Abram, and I love what he's doing here. He, um, he talks about nations here, actually, let me just um, take you there. Is this spiritual or physical nations? It's spiritual and physical uh, I think I look what he says in six, nine or in chapter in Romans, chapter nine, it says in verse six, it is not as though God's word had failed for now all who are descended from Israel are Israel. OK, don't miss this now. Uh, just this is a brief blurb on the sense of spiritual Israel. Again, that's why I would be very, I'm very 
very passionate about people getting this because evangelical Christianity, the default evangelical Christianity is that there's two modes of operation for um, spiritual, you know, the people of God or, or Christians and in Israel, where it seems that God never had two intentional roles. There's one role and it's always for spiritual Israel. What he says here, for not all who are descended from Israel, meaning people who are born as Israelites, are Israel. He's saying just because you're born an Israelite doesn't make you an Israelite. Right. So keep put that in your mind. Say if you're African-American, just because you're black doesn't mean you're black. Just like if you're a Caucasian guy. Just, so to keep it in your own vernacular, like how, well, how would you say that? Well, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, not people who are born from the womb. Okay, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. The promise of what? The promise that people receive by faith. For this is how this was. uh, This promise was stated at the appointed time. I'll return and Sarah will have a son. Okay, so so I say that to say. Uh, this the spiritual Israel is what God is always talking about, although he begins the spiritual journey with an ethnic group. But the ethnic group, the importance of the ethnic group is that through the ethnic group, he will begin a remnant of people of faith. Who can model that this is what it looks like to be people of faith. But notice, here's what's cool. Notice what he just said there. He says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. So even if it was ethnic, if, if the focus was being Israel, he wouldn't have said nations. Because that means a different nation than Israel. You follow me? So that means that he's talking about people who know Jesus. So just to throw that out there. Continues on. And uh, he says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. And I'm so glad he did that because I keep messing up. He was, he was Abram for a while, and I kept calling him Abraham when he was Abram. I'm like, man, would you just change your brother's name so I can say Abraham? So now I can say Abraham from now on. Okay. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Again, that word nations, nations. Can you imagine? It's very interesting how we do that, right? If you have a paradigm, you can just miss stuff. So the Israelites are reading this for thousands of years. But I wonder if they ever thought, like, why are they saying nations? When we're one nation, what does that mean? Very interesting. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Significance of names, family. So you got the Abram and you have Abraham. Now, names don't mean much to us today. Um, you know, we just we know. Well, I think we're trying to get back in the game. I think you know now we have a, you're pregnant. You're like going to Barnes and Noble looking up the names, what they mean. You know, I think we're trying to get back in the game. Um, but for the most part, uh, the, the, the focus of names for uh, Jewish people and basically in antiquity and us today is this world apart. Uh, for these guys, it expresses a person's character and destiny. Like when they when they named their kid, they were saying, we want my kid to be like this. You follow me? Uh, which, if you think about that, this means a lot, uh, because think about Abram's name. I love this. So his name starts off high father or exalted father. I, I, I don't want us to miss maybe one of the main reasons why he changes his name here is because he gave him a promise way back in the day. And Abram, Abram has not seen that yet. And so he's like, I just want you to know I, I have not forgot you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to change your name to the father of a multitude. Almost like the promise I gave you, I will fulfill. In fact, and I, I love what he changed. I love that. OK, different than man changing a name. Right. We give someone a name and we really hope they become that person. Right. Well, so the cool thing about God changing the name is as good as done. So God says, hey, you're going to be father of the multitude. 
you know, he ended up there going, I'm going to make this happen. Now, what are we going to do? No. So he changed his name. And it's almost like, hey, dude, I gave you that promise. I'm serious about that promise. I'm going to seal the deal by changing your name to father of the multitude. So um, maybe the best application there is think about the names when you name your babies. So, um, all right, verse 7. Um, no, I was joking. It's very important in that now he is, he is not have, he has this promise of being a father of multitudes. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations, for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of the descendants after you. So notice, uh, again, this, this talk of covenant. I notice again, covenants are always not just between uh, two people, right? But they're between individuals and the Lord. And here in particular, we have he having this focused covenant uh, with Abram. And then I love, excuse me, I love the fact, if you notice, he says that this covenant is not just about you, it's about lineage. Okay? This is about blessing you, but also your people will be a blessing to other people. So you, I, I love this. It's not, it's not just that Abraham is going to receive a blessing and be a blessing and it just stops there. But he's the beginning of another, another group of people receiving a blessing and being a blessing. And we talked about this a lot, but we need to get this, especially in our community here, where a lot of us are, are patriarchs or matriarchs. Okay, remember we talked about that? We're individuals who we've stopped the drama. By God's grace, he said, with you, I'm stopping the drama. I'm going to make you a godly man. I'm going to make you a godly woman. You do not have to be like your mom and daddy. You do not have to be drug dealers. You do not have to be dropouts. You do not have to just have spiritual apathy. But you can change your journey for the rest of your generations by God's grace. Right? And there's many of you who are in that first generation of that lineage. Where you're beginning a lineage. And some of you are within a lineage. Praise the Lord. Right? Where you have a family who's modeled God-centeredness. And you now are experiencing that blessing and you are called to be a blessing. The beauty is just to know that we don't have to stay where we are if you're the first. And that you can continue on a great thing if you are in the line of a lineage. That makes sense, family? So he says, hey, out of you, I'm going to do something. You come from a pagan daddy. Your daddy was a pagan. I'm doing this good thing in you, and I'm going to use you to be blessing all the nations. Do we see our lives as a lineage? Do you realize that your time in Macav in this community is so much bigger than you? He says, hey, I'm giving you the whole land of Canaan where you are now, an alien. I will give it as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. You see that talk again? What's, what's, what's the reward? God. He says, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Now, this is weird. Now, we know we saw in Genesis 15, he passes through uh, God passes through the two animals. OK, we've seen, uh, you know, after Noah, after Noah uh, was saved uh, in the flood, he gets off. He sacrifices. He does. An, he does a sacrifice of atonement because of his sin. And we see him. Um, we see he's saved. And then in the next chapter, he's drunk and doing all kind of crazy things. So we know we're evil people. and God has given us grace and he's doing all this because of his goodness. But then he still says here, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. 
And we see this over and over again. Covenant sin, exile, restoration. God gives you a covenant. He says, I'm promising you I'm going to deliver this. I'm going to do this. But if you fall into sin, I'm going to have to punish you because I'm, I'm, I'm serious about, about chastising and making sure and purifying my people. And so I'm going to send you in exile. Whatever, and, and, and this time we'll see it's a sense of spiritual exile. And it says I'm going to take you away from your land, which land meant everything to these guys. And then, but, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to be gracious and redeem you from that eventually. But, but here's an issue. So he says, if you don't keep my covenant, we're going to have an issue. I struggle with that because God said in the previous chapters, he's going to do everything. Well, all I can say is it seems like there's a healthy tension here. And I wonder if God is if if God is saying, hey, I I have given you a responsibility, but I give you a responsibility for only what you can do. And what you can't do is save yourself. You can't make yourself holy. You can't just choose to walk with me. Okay, so I'm going I'm going to instill that in you and then I'm going to ask you to walk with me. And so I don't. So I wonder if in in our lives, there's many of us right now where God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's he's working in our hearts. He's working in our lives. He doesn't possess us. He feels us. Right. He indwells us and feels us. And then he says, now you have now yielding to me. You have all the capacity you need if you yield to me. And maybe some of us choose not to yield. Just processing that. Just processing that. It seems at, at best we can say there's a tension here, family. There's a tension between God's sovereign hand saving us, doing everything, protecting us all the way to the day of redemption. But also God saying, I'm asking you to keep my commands. I'm asking you to keep this covenant. And in fact, we're going to see in a moment. And if you don't, I will remove you from the covenant people. What do you do with that, guys? Kind of weird, huh? Any comments? He continues on. He's just sharing. This is God just talking, look, talking to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you this promise. I got you, Abraham. He says in verse 10, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. This is what, this is what I want you to be about. I'm going to do everything, but here's what I want you to do. Every male among you, this is where it gets crazy. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 12, for the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born uh, in your household or, or bought with money from your foreigner. So those who are not your offspring. So he's like, man, can you imagine this? He's like, look, I, I'm beginning this thing. And, you know, and the guys who are eight days, I mean, it's, it's horrific, but at least they're going to forget. But, you know, he's like, I want everybody, all the homies. All right. And he's saying, even those that you aren't, aren't, aren't descended of Israel, right? But they're like your maids, they're your servants. Everybody. Okay, everybody in your household. Wow. He says, uh, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in, uh, in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay. Uh, now, you know, this, this one I was really nervous because you guys know some of my jokes can be like off color. So I prayed a lot this week. All right. So I'm trying to chill. OK. So this is the flint knife that they use 
to circumcise um, the people back then. Okay. And that messed up, man. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, man. Praise God, man. I'm American. So, um, and I didn't have to. No, because guess what? Because, um, cause, you know, uh, the Ishmael, those individuals, you know, he was um, circumcised at 13. And actually, um, you know, um, Muslims, Arabs to this day circumcise at the age of 13 um, because of Ishmael being circumcised at 13. So that was just a side note. Um, so, um, so, what, so what's happening here? Let me just read this. Did I, did, I go, did I already go here? Yeah, that's another. I already did that one. So what's happening here? Okay, now you notice in verse 10 and 11, he calls it two things. He says, he says, it's my covenant with you, but also he calls it the sign of a covenant. So the question becomes, so who, who, is, it, who is it for? Like, why do we do this covenant thing? Why do we do this whole circumcision thing? Um, is it for unbelievers? Um, probably not, because you can't see it unless you're disrobed, right? So I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily for unbelievers. Um, is it for... Um, is it for believers, you know, so because you think about it, I mean, you know, practically speaking, uh, humans, we can create we can create great blessing or great curse uh, with the area that was circumcised, with the private parts. Right. So, you know, we see this in our community. We see how many I mean, how many babies are born in our community without a dad, you know, where he goes, he has sex, has a baby and then totally disowns the woman doesn't want to hang off the child, doesn't want to care for the child. Um, we see this prevalent, right? How many, how many men are, are, are sexually active and, and, and spreading diseases to women? Um, we can go down a list um, of, what, of what we've seen happen because of, of, of the great misuse of our private parts um, being unredeemed. Um, but we also can see great blessing. Right. We see great blessing where where you can uh, you can fulfill your mandate. Right. So the, the curse is you in an unredemptive way. You have kids, but you don't you don't raise image bearers. All right. So you've you've really prostituted God's desire for procreation. The desire for procreation is not only do you create like God and, and, and born or birth someone in your image, just as we are born in God's image. But then you also allow them to learn that they're created in God's image and then they become image bearers. And so we can have we can bring great blessing by procreating and having kids that love Jesus and filling a society with individuals that honor the Lord. Right. So that me, I wonder, could, so part of the covenant blessing, like the reason why we have the circumcision could be because we as men uh, can see ourselves and remind ourselves that we're God's people and we belong to God. Could be. Uh, but a lot of times uh, in the scriptures, it talks about even in the, 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 uh, the, the covenant that God makes of Noah. Right. The whole rainbow piece. He makes that. He makes that. And he says that will remind me. Right. That I'm not going to destroy the world like this again. Right. So it seems like there's times where the covenant is done and we see we see where the covenant is done um, because uh, he wants to remind people, have people be reminded and also where God wants to remind himself. So it could be that he is circumcising um, individuals uh, to remind himself that he has made a covenant with people that they would be procreative, that he would make them a multitude of nations. That makes sense, family. Um all that, those are just that like top shelf stuff. It seems that what we can agree on is it's an identity sign as God's people in this time. Um, confirmation sign bearing witness to Abe's. I like the short name action. 
belief that God would act on his promise, that God actually is going to fulfill his promise. Okay, so it seems like that's one of the those are the main reasons why he does this. And and he says any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off uh, from people. Uh, from his people, he has broken my covenant. Now, I just want us, as we do, as we do in literary tension and we're reading the Bible, I just want us to see some grammar there. You notice the play on words there? Circumcised, right, and cathode, and then he uses the same cut off. I just want you guys, for literary purposes, to see that. Uh, cut off from his people. He continues on and says, continues on and says, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to be called Sarah. Sarai, her name will be Sarah. Even though I like without an age better. That's my wife. Um, I will bless her and will surely give her you give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to him, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 99? Think about how long they've been waiting on this promise. Um, I love it's very interesting. So he laughs here. He doesn't get in trouble. And then we're going to see, you know, Sarah laughs and she kind of gets in trouble. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know how to unpack that. Did, you, did anybody have any thoughts there? Maybe he laughed. He wasn't. Yeah. That's good. So so maybe it was like he. He believed the Lord. And he just kind of ecstatic. I thought that's my conclusion. Like he just kind of like, oh, this is crazy, dude. I'm like this old wrinkled dude. and You're going to give me a baby. OK, that's what's up. That's how we're going to go out. Yeah, maybe that's what. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm into that. That's good. That's a good job, Mark. So so we see him worshiping the Lord, which can I just at 12, 19? No, we saw in the beginning and we see here he falls down, face down and, and, and worship God. I was thinking to myself as we talk about worship, we we're talking about worship at the discipleship retreat and we're talking about, you know, you see in an Old Testament and because of our body, we're kind of cerebral, we're kind of chill. Um, I, I was wondering, like, how, mu- how much of our our emotion or lack of emotion in our local body here is because of the freedom we have in Christ or because of our fear, of what people think and our and our and up understand like we don't really understand how important external worship is. I don't know. I think it's a, a really healthy question to ask our body, though. You know, I was just thinking, you know, you know, if I, if I you know, you, OK, so he's so guys are daddy and, and I and I'm a, I'm a father. And, you know, the thing that makes me gets me so excited is is, is, is when I come home uh, from work. I actually like going away sometimes just to come home and um, I work in my office at home. So I try to get away. And, and the coolest thing, you know, is is when I come home and my wife, Sarah, she's so excited to see me, you know, not like I'm everything. I'm just that's what happens. Like, I'm excited to see her, too. So I'm trying to paint it like I'm cool. But. And then my kids are like going crazy, right? Don't you just love that dad? It's like you, you, you open the door and you're just like jumping them down. Daddy, daddy, ah! You know, and they're running to you, you know, and you, and you, you know, you give your wife a kiss and then you go and you love on your kids. And they're so ecstatic. They're so excited to see you, right? It's, you know, there's something going on in their heart. And because of that, it provides an external emotion that affirms me, right? And it makes me know that I'm worth something to them. And, and I just thought to myself, what would happen if I walked in the house, you know, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm home. And they're like, hmm. Hello, Dad. I mean, they affirm the reality that I'm there. They believe the facts. Right? They, 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 got the, they have the understanding, but it seems like this, there's not a heart connection there. 
I mean, I probably by faith will continue just to love them and care for them. But I wonder if it'll hurt. I just wonder in our hearts, like in our body here, like, like, do we are we kind of chill because that's just the way the Lord wired everybody in this room? Or is there something hindering us from really letting the daddy know that we love him? Just wonder. Um, so real quick, um, Abram said, go, uh, said to God, if, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. So, uh, again, the sovereignty aspect of God is all throughout this text here. Right. He's still sad. Abram still said. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't talk anything about Sarah. Let's talk about Sarah real quick. So real quick, Sarah names it change. And there is debate here that her name meant contentions or something like that with Sarai and that it changed to uh, princess. Um, when they changed the name, almost like her name, her character got changed, too, because she was kind of a trip, too. Now, I mean, she's dog and Hagar. Um, and, you know, although she um, it was Abram's fault that he tried to make her a prostitute, like she was kind of, you know, rolling with the punches for a little bit. So you just you don't see a huge, beautiful testimony for Sarah. I neither. I mean, there's a, I mean, think about it. Our parents, our spiritual parents are Rex. Right. And um, and God is gracious. So um, just the name change again means something that God is doing something to that person. Just didn't want to throw that out. Here we see he's talking about Ishmael. He's, he's saying, man, I wish he was under your blessing. I mean, you, you, you're going to give me this other son. But now Ishmael is, thir- is probably 13. Um, he's, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's basically probably growing up. He's seeing that, man, this guy is not going to be the children of the promise. He's going to probably uh, remind me of the consequence of my sin because where did he come from? When their time when they went down to Egypt, remember, they grabbed the maid servants. Hagar was one of the maid servants when he shouldn't have been there, and so he's kind of sad. And then look at his um, God's response. Then God said, "Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him." As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I hear you. I love this. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful. And will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. Haven't you seen that? Um, it does not saying he's going to give him Jesus. He's not saying that he's going to experience heaven. He's going to experience the Lord. But he said, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to I'm going to treat him OK. Um, and that can be even hard for us sometimes. I don't want to take this too far. But when we see people being blessed who, who don't know Jesus, we can get kind of frustrated, especially when our life's a wreck. We go, I'm trying to read my Bible. I ain't cussed out nobody in two weeks. And, right, and my phone about to be turned off. What up with that, you know? And you watching this nutball, totally doesn't love Jesus, you know, money falling out of his ears, you know, all this other stuff. And I just want to encourage you guys, by God's grace, don't get jealous. God, God, what he said, God will, God will just bless whom he blesses. And a cool thing is you got Jesus. And I, I would propose that's even more of a sanctified moment where God wants you to rest in the true treasure and say, yeah, well, they got that stuff, but they don't got Jesus. What does that mean? Right. What does that really mean? So. Uh, so, yeah, he says, but I love he says, he says, I'm going to do all that for Ishmael, my little homie. But he says, guess what? Verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. I love again. God put more skin in the game. He says, OK, I'm going to bless you. And he says, I'm going to bless you uh, at, around this time. Here's what you're going to name the boy. Then he says, I'm going to bless you. Here's what you're going to name the boy. And guess what? Next year is on. So he gives him the specific date. Now, can you imagine that? How, how expecting he was? 
all these years, now he gets a date. Next year, we're going to have a baby. Verse 23. So they continue this, this cool dialogue. You've got to be there now. Don't just look at a textbook. Be there. Hanging out with God. Processing. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, all those born in his household, uh, or brought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Check out his, his response. It's just obedience. Now, this is one of those times where you would just say to God, I hear you, Lord. Let me pray about it. You know, you don't just jump right into just circumcising cats. You know, and and he just says. And he just says, you know what, I'm going to do exactly as you said. And I think what a beautiful display. Um, look at this. Do we do, oh, we didn't put down James one to twenty five. Well, in a nutshell, here's what the scriptures say in James. Write that address down. Very important address here. It says, OK, to, to know to know God's truth. Right. It says if you if you're knowing God's truth. So God says something to you. You hear God's truth and then you don't obey it. It says you are a fool and deceiving yourself. OK, so when God says something clearly to us and we have this all the time in our body. Right. We're sitting somewhere. Someone's dating an unbeliever. We're in that group. We're saying, hey, the unbeliever. And the person knows it and knows what they need to do, but we don't do it. I'm just saying that the scriptures are saying you're deceiving yourself. Now, what do we do as a local body? How do we be redemptive there? We are not being redemptive when we let people be deceived. You're not helping them when you say, oh, well, you know, here, let me hug you. We have to figure out a way to, to while we're loving people, have them experience re- the juice to be redemptive. Meaning recreated in Christ. They're recreated. God has done a big stuff, but we talk about why continually washing. Help people experience God's love. Help people experience God's truth. Because the Bible's saying they're deceived. You see something in scripture and you, we don't obey it, we're deceiving ourselves. We're living a fake life is what the Bible teaches, right? That's what I love about this guy here. He says, hey, look, God said something, I responded in faith. Right? Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Israel was 13. Abram and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on the same day, right? On that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household and bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. So he obeyed clearly. I love it. All right. So let's ponder a few things as we, as we think of the text. So that's our text. So, so the Lord is speaking to us here. So the first thing, is circumcision essential? Make sure we go on the same page here. Is circumcision essential? Meaning, do you need circumcision? I love it. Thank you. Somebody, we've got a brave soul, Kristen. No, she's right. Y'all all right in your mind. You wanted to say no, but you're scared I had a trick question there. No, right? No. So. Galatians 5, 6, many other chapters. I've got this one address for you. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And it also says, well, the only thing that matters is new creation. All right, make a joke. We always say new creation, baby. You know, so the only thing that matters is that God has made you new. Okay, family? So, so why is circumcision in the scriptures? Why we have this text here? What is God trying to do? 
Okay, these are the big picture pieces. So we looked at Genesis 17. We've seen the story, him dialogue with Abraham, making it clear that, hey, you're going to be a man of faith by my grace. I'm going to bless you by my grace. Here's what it looks like. I need here's what I need you to do by my grace. Um, So here's why I'm having you do this. We have the beauty now of being on this side of redemptive history, right, where we get to know we get to have the fulfillment of all these things. So we need to know why it's done. Why circumcision in scriptures? To introduce the concept of circumcision of the heart. Don't miss that, family. Don't miss what's going on here. When you're reading, we have the whole canon now. So now we can say, so why are these things happening? And we can see the fulfillment in our King Jesus. Okay? So what is he trying to help us see? He's circumcised. People are circumcised. Experiencing the right. Experiencing the right. Experiencing the right. And it's because God is trying to say, what I'm showing you physically, I am wanting to have happen because I'm doing it in your heart spiritually. Circumcision of the heart. That's the whole focus, is that God is making our hard, callous, evil hearts pliable and soft for his glory, to experience his grace and his love and experience joy while we're on this side of the now and not yet. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Jeremiah 4, 4. I'm sorry, yeah, Jeremiah 9, 26, Ezekiel. We can't go through all of them now. I'll give you one little passage. Um, 36, this is still... The Israelites in antiquity. Okay, so this is not even just some new thing that he does when Jesus, our king, comes. He's always been telling these guys it's always been about your heart. He says the Lord, your God, will circumcise your what? Your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. He's not. When you guys don't ever do this again. When you're reading the scriptures and you see him talking about your heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't go separating those. Going, we love your God with all your strength. It means that I'm really strong. No, that's not the meaning. In the first century, they never meant that. You, you're, you're messing up the Bible if you do that. What that is saying, that's giving you an example of the whole person. That's just that's just vernacular. That's language. That's that's linguistics to say I want you to I want you to love God with everything that you are, all of who you are. I never meant for you to bifurcate. The mind and the heart and the soul and the heart and strength. No, no, no. I'm just saying, man, what does it look like for me to tell you? I want you to give everything to Jesus. Nothing with your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and your being and your that's what he's everything. Okay? That's what that's what that text means. In the New Testament, you're gonna see it again. That's what he's meaning. He's not trying to have us separate those things. He's saying, Hey, I've always wanted you to be uh, to be wholeheartedly into me. All symbols. Everything we do, even in a minute, we're going to do communion and we're going to do and we're going to um, we're going to do tithe. All the symbols, even tithe points to the reality of faith. That's what tithe is. Tithe is not about funding a church. Tithe is about saying, I believe Jesus reigns. And when you rob God, you're really saying you don't believe Jesus reigns. Every symbol points to faith. Let's ponder, family. How do you circumcise a heart? So that's the reality. So God says, I want your heart to be circumcised. I want your heart to be the heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Your descendants are going to have it. And you're going to be wholeheartedly into me. How do you do that? Look what it says here. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly. Man, we, right? He says, he says, nor is circumcision merely outward or physical. You see that? No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. You see that? Same kind of, we, we saw this in the beginning, right? So you have one outwardly, it doesn't really matter. It matters if, one, if someone's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from man, but from God. 
So it says, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. How does this happen? By the spirit. You see that? You see that preposition? Prepositional phrase there? Not by the written code. Guys, this text here is all about you and me experiencing circumcision of the heart. The reason why this is so important is because we, we, can, we walk around and we're going, I talk to individuals, you know, and, and individuals struggling with joy in Christ, we're struggling with, um, with really understanding our sinfulness. And you know what that really is? That's just pride. If you struggle, that's, that's us not realizing that our hearts are callous. For us not to know that, man, we are in need of God's grace, that we are, that we are sinful, that, that man, God is, is doing, like, you know, I talk to people, and I'll talk, hey, t- tell me, um, I'll say, tell me a sin you're struggling with. I have some people ask me about audacity and say they're not struggling with any sin. I'm, I'm sorry, your heart's hard. There's no way, I'm keeping it real, in this journey, in a sinful world, where God hasn't fully glorified you, that you don't have something in your life that dishonors the Lord. Sorry. I say that to say we all are in this journey. We're all struggling. We all have all kinds of stuff. And to not be able to understand and know that, I'm saying, man, there's something wrong with God. What you need to ask God to be circumcised and allow your heart to be fleshly and soft so you can know, so you can be aware of your stuff. So we can be experiencing the joy that God has for us. God wants us to be honest about our journey so we can experience the healing of the Savior. Friends, I'm just asking that you hold me accountable and we can hold each other accountable to be men and women who say, hey, Lord, I don't want to have callousness. I don't want to. I don't want to be hard. Lord, give me a heart. That's a flesh. Here's a cool thing in Christ. That's what he does. In Jesus, what he's done. And that's what this whole passage is about, is that God has said, I've given you a new heart. And Ezekiel is talking about, I've given you a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. But guess what? He gives that heart to us, and then he asks us to continue to yield to him that we might experience that reality. And that's our prayer. Can we do that, family? Can we ask the Lord to teach us how to have a heart of flesh? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have...